Our reading for today is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord be with you. Welcome. It's good to see everyone again and to have this time together um, in worship. Please pray with me. Lord, for some, uh, it's been another monotonous week. But for many um, in our church, it's also been a tumultuous week. And certainly it's been a turbulent week uh, for our nation. We ask for a peaceful transition of power and a movement toward healing. May we, the church, seek unity in Christ and remain committed to your kingdom work of love, peace, and justice. Now in the hearing of your word, grant us the wisdom and the courage to be faithfully obedient to you, our Lord, the only wise God, now and forever. Amen. This is now the seventh in a series of eight sermons I'm preaching through the Beatitudes. We've seen that in the first four Beatitudes, those whom the world rejects or those who are in need are blessed. The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then in the second four Beatitudes, Jesus says, those whom we might call righteous or faithful are also blessed, the merciful, the pure in heart, and today, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I was reminded this week that the logo for the United Nations is a map of the world surrounded by olive branches, the traditional symbol of peace. Without irony, to maintain the peace in many places, they send in soldiers known as peacekeepers. The great seal of the United States also contains olive branches in one of the talons of the eagle, along with some arrows in the other, symbolizing the desire for peace alongside the preparedness for war to defend that peace. The dove with an olive branch, thanks to the story of Noah, has also long been associated 
with the idea of peace. I know that this past week, especially in light of the elections, many people have been praying for peace in this nation. I think that nearly everyone wants peace. People want personal inner peace in their own lives, as well as a larger peace in their families, in their communities, in their country, and in the world. For most people, this desired peace is defined largely in negative terms. Peace is the cessation of violence. It is the antonym or the stoppage of war. Peace is freedom from public disturbance or disorder. Peace is freedom from disagreements or quarrels. Peace is an undisturbed state of mind, an absence of mental conflict, calm, quiet, tranquility. Someone said rather cynically, peace is that brief glorious moment in history when everybody stands around reloading. Biblical peace, however, is not the absence of trouble, but rather the fulfillment of the highest good. Not merely the lack of hostilities, but the fullness of joy. Not merely some inner state of mind, but a rightly ordered relation between God, others, and self. Many of you were probably taught growing up to be good and to be nice. Don't get angry, smile, be cheerful, don't yell, don't swear, and don't rock the boat to keep the peace. That is not biblical peace. There are many countries today not engaged in active war, but they are not flourishing. There are homes where no one might be shouting, but there is no warmth. There are many people who are quiet, but there is no fulfillment. Biblically speaking, they do not have peace. I can remember at certain points in my marriage, uh, especially in the early years, my wife and I would occasionally get into a long argument where one of us would raise his or her voice and the other one of us would scream. After a while of that, and we couldn't resolve the conflict, we would just stop talking to each other. We stopped fighting loudly and it had the appearance of peace, but that is not peace. That's a temporary truce, a ceasefire born of exhaustion and a sense of hopelessness. I think too often in our homes or at work or at school, we pretend everything is okay, or we deny real differences or gloss over genuine pains for the sake of maintaining this illusion of supposed peace. We resign ourselves with cold coexistence and superficial civility rather than striving and struggling for genuine peace. I know that sometimes things are so bad, we happily settle for basic civility, but that is not biblical peace. While worldly peace may often be defined in these negative uh, terms as the absence of conflict, biblical peace has a much more positive and broad meaning. Biblical peace is rooted in the Hebrew idea of shalom. Shalom. This is how they greeted one another and said goodbye to one another. Shalom is to wish God's highest good upon someone. 
It may not seem like much, but this is what we are doing every Sunday together when we pass the peace in our worship with the waving of the hand or writing peace be with you in the chat box. I wish you God's highest good. The Old Testament prophets, for example, spoke of shalom, this peace, to communicate God's comprehensive vision of human flourishing when the Messiah would come. Not just the lack of war, but flourishing, joy, fullness of life. You'll recall that in the days of Jesus, the Jews were living under occupation. They were under the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They weren't at war, but they were far from this biblical sense of shalom, of peace. It is more than a politically imposed order or an economically driven stability. It's far more inclu inclusive. Shalom, in the words of Cornelius uh, Plantinga Jr., means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Shalom is the way things ought to be. The world we live in is far from the way things ought to be. Certainly far from the way we might imagine the way things ought to be. Life might be pretty good for some of you right now, but as you look around the world, you have to admit that this is not the way it should be for many, many others. But we have come to accept disease and illness. We have normalized conflict and distrust. We have resigned ourselves to an ongoing poverty and injustice. But that is not the way things ought to be. That is not God's creational intent for humanity and the world. We, re we need reminders of the shalom and what it might look like. For example, in Isaiah 65, God tells us, describing joy and gladness that will characterize those who dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. People will live long and healthy lives, and a hundred-year-old is described as being young. Work will be meaningful and fruitful, and blessings will be passed down to the next generation. People will call upon God, and God will answer even before they call upon Him. And the final image we are given is that the wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. None shall hurt or destroy in all of God's holy place. It's an incredible vision of shalom, of peace, to which we are all invited. But notice very importantly what Jesus says. He says that blessed are the peacemakers, the peacemakers, those who work for peace. Not the peace wishers, not the peace hopers, not the peace loving, the peace desiring, the peace dreaming, but the peacemakers. The peacemakers are blessed. Those who are doing the incredibly hard work of genuine peacemaking. Blessed are those 
whose genuine interest is in the full well-being of others. Like the other Beatitudes, peacemaking is counter to our very nature and our culture. Aren't you more interested in winning an argument or defending your own position than in reaching a compromise or even having your mind changed? Don't you prefer to hold grudges and look for opportunities to get even rather than seeking reconciliation and forgiveness? Aren't you glad, at least a little bit, when someone gets what you think they had coming for them? Don't you prefer to love your friends and hate your enemies? Aren't you more interested in your own comforts and in your own sense of what is right than in the well-being of those who you know to be wrong? But God calls us to seek the shalom, the well-being of those around us. Psalm 34, 14 says, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. We are called to seek, to pursue, to hunt down, not our own personal inner peace, but the shalom, the well-being of those around us. In Jeremiah 29, God tells his people to invest in the long-term well-being of their neighbors and neighborhoods, even in a time of exile. Seek the welfare, seek the shalom of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your peace. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for shalom and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Our peace, our well-being is contingent on the well-being of our neighbors. I noticed this week that in my calendar, today was supposed to be our annual Rise Against Hunger event. Pre-COVID and lockdown, all of us would have gathered today in the fellowship hall, and we would have had the opportunity and the joy of packing thousands of food packets together. So even though we cannot do that today, I do want you to know that our mission committee and our session recommended and decided to give to the Rise Against Hunger organization. We are financially supporting them this year with the amount we would have spent uh, had we held our event so that their work can continue even though we cannot participate this year. Similarly, I'm thankful uh, that our women's ministry is collecting bags of food for distribution to our neighbors uh, for this Thanksgiving. Supporting food security is peacemaking and seeking the well-being of our neighbors. It's one of the ways that we can make peace. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. We want to pursue the things which make for peace, including food gifts for Thanksgiving and gifting through uh, the Angel Tree program for Christmas. But the more fundamental thing which makes for peace is justice. The well-being of all, the shalom of our neighborhoods, necessarily requires the pursuit of justice and righteousness. 
As Pope Paul VI said back in 1972 in a message on the World Day of Peace, if you want peace, work for justice. If you want peace, work for justice. Maybe he was thinking of Psalm 85. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness, that is justice, and peace, shalom, kiss each other. Justice and peace kiss each other. They are intimately linked and cannot be separated. Peace cannot be a passive indifference to others. It must be an active passion for others. As Martin Luther King Jr. still reminds us in his letter from the Birmingham jail, I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Peace requires the presence of justice. For all to flourish, there can be no injustice. Peacemaking does not mean simply stopping or putting an end to violence, only to return to former injustices and the restoration of the status quo. It's not about getting back to normal because the back normal for many was not peace. It was not just. It was not shalom. The work of peacemaking seeks the shalom for the least of these, and it will require confronting and challenging and dismantling unjust structures. It is hard work because unpeace or anti-peace is so ingrained into our lives. But those who are working for the shalom of their communities, Jesus says they are blessed because they will be called the children of God. In other words, those who are working toward the shalom of God demonstrate their family resemblance to God. They are being God-like or Christ-like. God is a peacemaker. Repeatedly in the scriptures, we are told that God is the God of peace. Romans 15, may the God of peace be with you all. 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. We hear this also in the benediction that Aaron gave to the Israelites in number six, the Lord bless, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord of peace give you peace. God and God alone makes peace possible. And God gives us peace to his peacemakers. And Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, not the kind of peace that is imposed by Rome and empire, not the peace that is the mere cessation of violence, but my peace, a peace beyond understanding, 
a fullness of life peace. This I give to you. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Peacemakers are blessed because their actions indicate that they have received this peace of God through Jesus Christ already. The children of God have peace first and foremost with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, for he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ has made peace possible for us. And Colossians 1, for in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peacemakers are called the children of God because they have received the peace of God. And as God's children, therefore, they are now working the work of God to bring the peace of God, the shalom of God, wholeness to the whole world. God has done his part in his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now we, in response as his children, seek peace, pursue peace, just as he has shown us. A little further on in the Sermon on the, ba- uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus indicates what this peacemaking might look like. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. The children of God love their enemies. The children of God in seeking peace love their enemies. This is peacemaking. Just as Jesus reconciled sinners who are enemies with God, so now the children of God do the work of peacemaking with their enemies. To be very honest with you, I'm having a really hard time these days with this word. Probably like many of you, this uh, election cycle has really challenged my faith. I find myself wondering, how can it be that Christians are so divided in regard to what is right and what is wrong and what it means to be a faithful Christian? How can it be that so many Christians would consider one another their enemy and yet we claim to serve the same God? Peacemaking, love love of enemies feels especially hard right now But this is the word that we are given today. The writer of Hebrews exhorts us, strive for peace with everyone, with everyone. For myself, in order to do that, I have to continually check myself. I can tell you that I find it far easier to think that those who agree with me, disagree with me, are diabolical. I am prone to wrongly believe that I am moral and those who disagree with me are immoral. I pay far too much attention to selective and extreme anecdotes which paint my opponents in the worst light. I'm far more easily angered and frustrated than I am moved to empathy toward those who I've labeled as enemies 
I catch myself being overconfident that I have a rational interpretation of events and that those on the other side are delusional in regard to reality. On top of all that, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. And I don't want to do the hard work of peacemaking. I just want a little peace for myself. Maybe some of you are also going through similar thoughts. And if so, perhaps this is the word that we all especially need to hear today. To pray for and work for peace so that those we have placed on the other side will be perceived no longer as enemies, but simply as disagreeing and perhaps a little disagreeable siblings in the one family of God. Frederick Dale Bruner reminds us the circle of right relations that is peace will often in a crooked world be relations that pass through struggle and confrontation. Struggle and confrontation sound exactly like what we are trying to avoid. We want peace after all, but genuine lasting peace, the shalom of the community requires we pass through struggle and confrontation. When family members argue and then remain silent to keep an uneasy truce, there may be quiet, but no peace. Love requires working through the discomfort of argument and trusting that we will find ourselves in a deeper peace on the other side. Peacemaking requires honesty and the willingness to be corrected and to suffer pain and loss. It's hard enough in a marriage or in a family and with friends and with people you love, how much harder this is with those we perceive and have labeled as our enemies. And yet this is our calling. This is what characterizes the children of God. And we have to be obedient and trust this word. The Bible tells me that in Christ, there is peace. There is reconciliation. There is peace not only with God, but also with one another. There is no separation on the basis of all that the world would divide us. In Christ, we are all one and all the children of God. Paul reminds us in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I wonder if Paul were writing to us today, he might say to the church, there is neither black nor white. There is neither citizen nor immigrant. There is neither Republican nor Democrat, for in Christ, you are all one. Let me close today with a prayer that many of you are probably already familiar with. It's a uh, early 20th century prayer that is usually and wrongly attributed to the 13th century uh, Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi. The prayer begins with asking God to make me an instrument of God's peace. Make me an instrument of your peace, God. And then it asks to do this hard work of making peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, 
let me do the work of sowing love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. This is all hard work. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that you have made peace for us and with us through the cross. We are, we are reminded that at your birth, the angels announced peace and how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Lord, give to us the peace that passes all understanding and keep us in perfect peace as we trust in you. Help us now to persevere and to be tenacious in pursuing peace. And yet keep us also from self-righteousness and obnoxiousness. Make us instruments of your peace, not our peace. God of all peace, baptize our imagination so that with hope we may follow in obedience and imitate Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And despite all that is not shalom in the world and in our lives today, we look forward to the day and work toward the day when your perfect peace will reign. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.